When you think about the human body, the heart is a pretty amazing organ. It beats around 72 times every minute, which means 2.5 billion heartbeats in the average lifetime. All this beating, it moves blood around the body, is bringing in good things like nutrients, also taking away the bad stuff. And the heart does this at a rate of about 10 liters every minute, which means that it moves around a million liters of blood over the course of your life. The heart is very, very impressive. And so we know, don't we, that a healthy working heart is critical if you want to have a healthy working body. If the heart goes wrong, the body goes wrong. If the heart fails, the body dies. In Australia, cardiovascular disease kills someone every 12 minutes. And heart disease is still the single leading cause of death in this country. So when the heart goes bad, the cost is very high. But you know, that's true whether you're talking about the physical heart, as we've just seen, or the Bible's idea of heart. See, in Scripture, when we see the word heart, it's being used a little differently. It's a, it's a spiritual term. A person's heart reflects who they are at the deepest part of them, at the core of their being. And it captures and reflects things like their character, uh, their mind, their will who they are at the core. Today, as we open up the Bible, we're going to look at someone who had a very serious heart condition, King Solomon. And we're going to see that this problem has actually been there all across the Bible story that we've been looking at. It's also in our story, too. So let's paint the picture of where we are. Uh, We started this series uh, right back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And there, God's people enjoyed the blessing of being in a great relationship with him. But only one chapter further, sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve desired to be like God, and they wanted that so much that they grasped for the fruit that God had clearly told them not to eat. In their heart, they put God aside. And this brought shame and curse into the world. This sin has been the problem of humankind ever since. After that, we looked at the story of Abraham, and we saw that God has a plan to fix this problem. Uh, God's promise was that he would create a people for himself, uh, people blessed by him who will be with him, and they will be a source of blessing for the world. And then last week, Matt shared the story of King David. And God's plans were focused even more. God promised that this great hope was found in a king, bound up in a special king who would come. So overall, here's what our story has been saying. There is a deep problem of sin and shame, but God has plans to fix this. And so as we come to 1 Kings, a chapter that we're looking at here today, the section of the Bible, we open up the story of Solomon, it actually looks like we're there. There's so much good, so much hope in these first chapters. The people are still living in the promised land given by God. Solomon even builds a fantastic, amazing temple for God, and the temple, of course, was the place of God with his people. Uh, They're greatly blessed. This is a time of prosperity and safety. And Solomon himself, as we saw in the video, 
He even seems to echo the Garden of Eden in his understanding and mastery over the animals, over the created world. One of my favorite paintings in the art gallery of New South Wales is the one that you see on the screen. It's the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon. It's a great painting. It's one of those massive ones that you can just sit and keep looking at it because it's just saturated with detail and it's, it's huge. And it shows how luxurious Solomon's palace probably was. It gives a bit of the flavor of this time in the life of God's people. But something that's even more amazing is that this queen visited Solomon because of his great wisdom. See, God gave him a gift of wisdom and understanding beyond that of any other man. And so the whole world flocked to him because of that. He was almost like a celebrity of his day. In a sense, this was a blessing from God coming to the peoples of the earth, coming to the nations through the king of God's people. It sounds, doesn't it, like the the promises to Abraham, the promises to David, they're coming true in these early chapters of 1 Kings. And so we might naturally question at this point in the story, well, is Solomon him? Is he the one? Is he the promised forever king? Is he fulfilling God's promises and plans? Sadly, the answer is no. Because Solomon's story is sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly. The first bit of Solomon's life is the good, but it's not the end of the story. It's also the bad. Look with me, please, at the first couple of verses of chapter 11. This was in the reading we heard earlier. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. That word, however, says so much. Yes, it looked good. It looked very good at first with Solomon. However, let's look more closely at him. Let's look deeper. Here we see that he disobeyed God. Solomon married the Egyptian pharaoh's daughter, even though God had said, he told the Israelites, have nothing to do with that nation anymore. Now, who knows how that happened first? Maybe at first Solomon thought he could sort of justify that first foreign marriage. You know, maybe thinking, oh, look, well, it's political. I'm not really out to disobey God. But if we get in Egypt's good books, look how good that'll be for the country. Who knows? But whatever's happening, something is up with Solomon. And we see this very clearly if we look back earlier in the Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. There we see God's commands for his people as they come into the promised land. And there's a section in there, this is chapter 17 if you want to look it up sometime. There's a section that clearly spells out how the king was supposed to live. Let me summarize it for us. It says that the king was supposed to take God's law write out his own copy and read it every day. This was to help him stay firmly fixed on God's ways and not wander off that path. It was like a a God-given daily devotional for the king. On top of that, uh, God highlighted certain temptations. So he was very specific in his commands. 
God said that the king must not accumulate large numbers of horses, especially ones from Egypt. He's not supposed to gather large amounts of silver and gold. And he must not marry many wives because they'll lead his heart astray. But what did we hear at the beginning of our reading? These people who came to hear Solomon's great wisdom, they came with riches and silver and gold, tribute for him. It says that he made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. And he didn't gather just a few horses, he gathered 12,000 of them, some of them from Egypt. Solomon was going from bad to worse. Clear disobedience of God's commands, despite all the riches, despite all the wisdom that God had given him. And as we read on in chapter 11, we see that Solomon's situation is downright ugly. Let's pick it up where we left off in verse 3. It says, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. God had warned against many wives. Here Solomon has a harem of a thousand women. It's like his disobedience is just off the charts, not on the radar anymore. But the main and deeper problem is spelled out very clearly for us in chapter 11. The very important repeated word in these chapters, sorry, in these verses, is heart. His heart was divided, the Bible says. That's Solomon's problem. Solomon saw the women and the gold, the silver, the horses, the fame, and he grasped for those things. Uh, he, He looked away from God. He looked away from God's clear commands towards all of these things which his heart wanted more. He traded in God for other desires. And we need to realize that this didn't happen overnight. Solomon reigned for 40 years. This is a picture of a lifetime where each compromise led him further and further and further astray. And in the end, what was he doing? We're told he was worshiping other gods. Gods like Molech. This is a god to whom people sacrifice their children. It's horrific. The summary here is very sad. Solomon did evil, it says, in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't follow him completely. So Solomon isn't the ultimate king of God's promises. There's not going to be an eternal kingdom because of Solomon. Instead, it says this kingdom is going to be stripped away from him in judgment. And Solomon starts a a pretty horrific domino effect in the life of God's people as the kingdom crumbles. But you know, this is the same pattern that we've been seeing in the story across the whole Bible. Eve saw the fruit. She desired it in her heart, even though it meant turning from God's ways. She grasped for it. Achan, among the people, just into the promised land, he sees that forbidden plunder. He desires it. He grasps for it. And even with King David, all wasn't right with him either. 
There was a time uh, when David stayed home while he sent his soldiers out to war. And then from his palace roof, he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And she was bathing, and he desired her. And so he's the king. He arranged to have her delivered to his palace, and then he had his way with her. But she was a married woman. Her husband was actually one of the soldiers away fighting the battles that David should have been part of. And then, when David found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, there was a failed attempt at covering all of this up and leading to him having her husband murdered. Same pattern. David saw, David desired, David grasped for what he should not have, and he didn't follow God's ways. And this sin led to shame and hurt and judgment and fallout that just kept spreading. And friends, this is the same pattern that we know too. We need to look at Solomon's life and realize that while maybe, yes, we're not struggling for the same riches and power of an actual kingdom the way Solomon was, but we still struggle with the same heart issues. We too can turn away from God and grasp for things that we believe are going to make us happy or fulfilled, doing that even if it means not following God's commands. We know what that's like. So in thinking about Solomon, maybe the first thing that we need to do is make sure that we know and remember the path that God wants us to stick to. Just as the the kings of Israel were supposed to read God's law daily, well, let's make sure we are into God's truth regularly. Let me commend to you again the uh, Grow Daily app from Creek Road. It's a great resource. There's one example of something helpful. It gives Bible readings, devotionals, links to songs, family material. It's very good. It's good food for the soul. That's only one example of many good things out there. And if you already have some sort of devotional routine going, let me encourage you that you are doing more than just learning the Bible when you spend time with God. You're setting yourself up in the way that we see in Deuteronomy for the kings putting yourself on a straight path to help you not shift from the left or to the right from God's way. Or maybe another way we can think about this is to ask ourselves where, like Solomon, we might be tempted to make compromises. Remember, it seems like he slipped across his lifetime. He started in a good place, but he ended up somewhere ugly. A shift away from God rarely happens overnight. We don't wake up one morning and say, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. I don't follow God's ways. It creeps up on us. That's how it happens. Sometimes it's in our priorities, just to pick one example. Sometimes in a busy week, we decide, look, I'm not going to go to church. Too many things on. I'm too tired. Now, look, that's okay if it happens now and then. There can be good reasons for that. Things get in the way. But when it becomes a habit... When it becomes just so easy to make that decision, to decide not to come, that's when we have to look at our heart. What might we be grasping for instead if time with God and his people lose any sense of priority for us? What are we desiring? Or, Or sometimes it's the things that we let ourselves be exposed to. Watch enough questionable stuff and eventually you're going to be desensitized to it. Or sometimes it happens like this. Uh, useful things, um, sorry, un- moving ahead, sorry, unhelpful things uh, pop up on the internet. You ignore it, but then one day you decide to click on the link. The next time you decide to go there deliberately. 
the next time you bookmark the page. You see how it works? It, it creeps up. We desire something, and it seems at first it might be just a little shift away from God. It seems like a small step, but if we keep walking in a certain direction, we can end up very far from where we started. So we learn from Solomon's story that we want to be on the right path. We want to honor God with each choice so that we don't drift. And we definitely don't want to end up clinging to past glories. See, in the end, Solomon can't answer God by saying, well, well, I walked with you closely once, God. Do you remember that? Remember those good times? It just doesn't work. God wants our heart right now. And if he doesn't have our heart, he doesn't have us. He wants it right now. A few years back, uh, there was an elderly lady in Florida named June Pierce, and she received uh, a very interesting birthday gift for her 84th. Uh, One of her special memories was the excitement of riding on the back of a boy's motorcycle back in the 1930s. And so her daughter wanted to get her an appropriate birthday gift. She advertised, I love how the ad went, come give granny a ride on your hog. And uh, a man who had recently lost his own mother to cancer decided to help out. And so he showed up on her birthday with an electric blue Harley Davidson and gave this 84-year-old woman a spin around the block a couple of times. See, Mrs. Pierce didn't settle for past glory. Just being a distant memory wasn't enough. She managed to relive her memory in the now. We need to be like June, not Solomon. For him, having a wholehearted walk with God, that was just a distant past. That was years ago. Every day he made a choice. I love my wives and their gods more than God. I love my riches more than God. I love my own fame, my own self-glory. I love that more than God. And in the end, his heart was so far removed from God that God stepped in and judged in the most massive way. So as we explore the true story of God, the world, and us, what do we need? Well, Solomon reminds us, doesn't he, that the problem runs deep. What we need are not just new tactics for trying harder to obey, but we need new hearts. We need new hearts that are first turned towards God. We need that promised king, whom we on this side of the cross are privileged to know is Jesus, because he is the one who makes us new from the inside out. That's how he works. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus creates a new story for us. He's the one, as we're told in Philippians, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Instead of grasping to have it all for himself, Jesus loves God in all of his ways. Instead of hoarding self-glory and riches as Solomon did, he lays aside the glories of heaven to serve me and you by becoming a man, tasting all of our frailty so that he could stand in our place. Jesus, he doesn't murder like Cain did and David did, but instead he dies for us. He doesn't prey on nakedness like David did with Bathsheba, but he was the one who was stripped and humiliated on the cross. 
He doesn't ignore God's words the way Solomon did. But he answered Satan's temptations by doing what? By actually quoting from Deuteronomy and feeding on God's word and God's truth. And he doesn't send his people off to die in war while he stays safe at home. He fights the ultimate battle for us and dies in our place. See, that's where our hope is. Our hope is in this king. Our hope is in Jesus. Because, see, he frees us from that relentless pattern of seeing, desiring, grasping. Now, yes, we're going to still struggle with sin. Don't get me wrong. We're going to struggle with that every day of our life. But he gives us a new heart where sin is no longer our master. Where that pattern doesn't have the final say anymore. We're given a new story. He writes a new story for us where we can actually find our fulfillment in God, our hope in God instead. And he takes away that shame that says that we're deficient and that then we need to fix that deficiency with all kinds of things that are not on God's path. And he himself gives us the strength and the desire and the ability to choose God's ways and not compromise and settle for past glories. And he walks with us in all of this, writing the new story as we journey with him. Solomon, sadly, despite all that God gave him, he desired more than God. As we continue with our Bible in 10 series, we're going to see his impact in the big story. But Solomon does show us what our real problem is, and so he helps us to see then the magnificence of the true king all the more sharply. We need a new heart. That's the problem. That's, that's the solution to the deep problem. And praise God that that's what, exactly what Jesus does. Pray with me, please. Father, the story of Solomon in many ways is tragic, in some ways surprising, uh, extreme in many ways as well. And Lord, we thank you that you've recorded this story for us. Lord, we pray that as we look at Solomon's life, you'll help us to look at our own hearts. Lord, help us, please, to stay on the right path. Strengthen us in your Son to make choices that honor you and not make compromises. Lord, help us to not settle for past glories, looking at the time when we walk with you closely, when now maybe we've shifted a bit to the right or to the left. Lord, if that is any of us here, please bring us into close relationship with you walking with you every part of every day. And Lord, help us to see that the answer to all of this is exactly what Jesus gives, a new heart being remade as a new creation, being made from the inside out, given an ability to know and love and respond to you in ways that we could never do ourselves. And so Lord, I pray for each person sitting here tonight that the story of Solomon won't just be a story in the storyline, but something that connects strongly with our story. We pray that as we continue in this Bible Intense series, you'll keep showing us that the mag- magnificent, large picture of what you are doing to help us to see our hope ultimately resting in Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that we will be strengthened in him. His great, great name. Amen.